0: It's over (laughs) 9,000!
1: Welcome, Super Elite Warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force, on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time. And I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host... This is the Bikini. Wait, where are you? Me?
0: No, the other person who climbed aboard this ship with me and was sitting right next to me last I looked.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm done being quartered in the infirmary. I'm walking around the ship now, heading up to the bridge to see where we're headed. You can just... do that? I can. You need to stay there. The medical staff want to evaluate you further. Me? Yeah, you did come back from the dead somehow. They're probably gonna run a full battery of tests. But you're the one who turned into
0: a puddle of goo during our battle or whatever.
1: Liquefaction. That's what we call it.
0: Huh. Why don't you call it, like, Jellyfaction? faction
1: You think the entirety of my race's language and customs and culture is just named after me? You act like it is.
0: But anyway, you're the reason this medical frigate was dispatched to us in the first place. Uh, you were going crazy, seeing things, you almost died. Shouldn't they be taking their time to evaluate you?
1: Nah, I
0: just told them I was joking.
1: They told me it was funny.
0: This entire army has the worst sense of humor.
1: Tell me about it. I'm looking at the navigational computer's course right now, and they're not taking us back to our original point of origin to get a new ship. They're taking us to some... milk galaxy, or something? Milk galaxy? Is it ruled by cows? Cows probably wouldn't make milk if they had a choice in the matter. So maybe it's ruled by people who dominate cows.
0: This is the most bizarre conversation I've had since, I don't know, probably our last episode?
1: Yeah, it's rather stream of consciousness, isn't it? As if we're just following random words from the ends of our previous sentences into the next ones.
0: Yeah, I'm not feeling it. Can we just, like, talk about our discussion topic for the day?
1: Sure thing. You've got a solid chunk of time before your next round of tests, according to the computer. And today, we're going to be talking about the final two episodes Right? The final two episodes? Four, by my count. Oh. <laughs> <We're>... <laughs> the, fi- the final four episodes of the Red Ribbon Army saga, and it's episodes 65, 66, 67, and 68. They are Confront the Red Ribbon Army, A Real Bind, The End of Commander Red, and The Last Dragon Ball.
0: To kick off episode 65, we open on what is a nature scene, but actually turns out to be a golf course where red is playing and black is, I guess, applauding. They daydream over their success in collecting the dragon balls as they wait for Tau Pai Pai's return, when suddenly a call comes in. There's a message from Colonel Violet. She's found another Dragon Ball. Violet returns to HQ with her dragon ball. We find out that the radar blue stole was used to help her pinpoint the ball's location. And Red orders Black to ship it off to General Kappa to find the final Dragon Ball. Violet asks about her reward, and she's paid handsomely in gold, like a true mercenary. Back at Kame House, Bulma's work is completed. She's now built a small drone that can somehow track Goku and beam a video feed back to Roshi's TV. Bulma and Launch do the incredibly responsible thing and leave Roshi alone with a spy camera. <laughs> Meanwhile, Bulma and Launch are working on the antenna outside, and it somewhat cuts the feed while Roshi's being a perv, and then when the feed is restored, he gets an eyeful of a dude pooping in the woods. (laughs) Eventually, the drone finds Goku, the gang, piece together these headed towards Red Ribbon HQ, and they are just convinced that there's no way he could possibly take them all on by himself, so they decide to help him out. But in order to do that, they have to call Yamcha for a ride. Bulma complains that there's no phone. Roshi points out, well, she's really smart. She could just build a phone. And then without any sort of telecommunications infrastructure whatsoever, Bulma just whips together a phone in like 30 seconds and calls Yamcha (laughs) at her parents' house. I'm starting to think this swinger theory has got a little bit more to it than we originally thought. Gets her dad first, who's like terrible at reading the room and just kind of wants to tell Bulma a joke. But those rotten bananas don't sound very appealing. And she just yells at her dad to put Yamcha on the line. He, of course, quickly agrees to assist the rest of the group in locating Goku. The band gets back together and they start to head off chasing after Goku. The episode ends with a musical number played over a recap of Goku's struggle against the Red Ribbon Army so far as a sort of way to build up like hype for the climax and also to you know pad runtime a little bit. Uh, That brings us to episode 66, A Real Bind. We open on a high-tempo collection of scenes that show our heroes all preparing for what is bound to be the final confrontation with Red Ribbon. Uh, Inside Yamcha's ship, the mood's a bit more tense. Some of the gang don't feel like they'll be useful in the coming conflict, and they are still technically missing Krillin at this point, so they go on a slight uh, side quest to find him. Back at Red Ribbon HQ, Commander Red's patiently waiting for Tao Pai Pai's return. He's ordered all stationary defenses to stand by as he doesn't want them to accidentally shoot Mercenary Tao and upset him. However, Goku is the one that's actually closing in on Red and Goku casually kills a man as he approaches Red Ribbon HQ, <laughs> just straight up blows up the helicopter thing that he's in. Oops, I guess. But the jig is up. Red Ribbon now know that it's Goku, not Tao Pai Pai. Since ordnance won't work, they send in a weird uh, helicopter things. Pilots fare about as well as the first guy. They all just get blown up. They send in ground troops to just get their asses kicked. Everything they throw, Goku just gets swept to the to the wayside. Back with the Kame crew, they've now reached the mountains just outside of Red Ribbon territory and fly face first into the defenses that were initially down when Goku flew by. So they also have a nice little missile chase scene of their own. Violet, kind of ahead of the curve, senses that maybe things aren't going to go so well for Red Ribbon. Um, so she starts like raiding and looting and stash- stashing as much money as she can on her body. And then she tries to escape and inadvertently ends up running into Yamcha's ship, essentially. Almost, I think, do they crash? I can't remember if they crash or if they they miss at the last second.
1: They miss at the last second, I think, yeah. Oh, yeah,
0: Goku's massacre continues unabated, now jumping into vehicles so he can punch them just hard enough to throw them off course and crash. In fact, almost as if to prove the slaughter is completely pointless, we see a sniper shoot Goku in the head only for the bullet to bounce off. So there's literally nothing these guys can do to him. So he's just murdering them for sport, essentially. (laughs) Red retreats into the bunker where he has a Dragon Ball stored. Black recounts how badly Goku's beaten Red's ass. And Red sort of dwells on the fact that his whole army is lost to a child as this episode ends. Episode 67, which is technically the end of of Commander Red at this point. So Goku's just been flexing on the Red Ribbon army. Now he's doing it in slow motion. Red continues to have a breakdown in his bunker slash vault thing. Violet continues cashing out her retirement plan, which puts Red in a bit of a pickle. Does he go down to the vault, or does he, like, just stay in his bunker with his Dragon Balls and hopes to recoup his losses later? He decides to give up his wealth and hold on to the Dragon Balls. Uh, in a desperation move, he sends Black out to delay Goku while he takes the two Dragon Balls that he does still have on a, a, a tactical reposition, as I like to call it. As he leaves, Goku crashes through the window. Black declares his intention to fight. But behind the scenes, Red complains that Black isn't doing a good enough job, so he just decides to use the fight as a distraction and activate a trap that's supposed to squash that entire floor of the tower. As the trap is activated, Black is currently hanging out the window (laughs) after Goku kicked him through it, so he actually manages to get around the trap, and when he climbs back into the building, he kind of has his view, I guess, of Red as this honorable leader and commander sort of shattered decides that uh, maybe it's time for new management and just ice is red. Just as black begins to revel in his successful coup Goku rejoins the celebration <laughs> I I forgot what it was, was he just lifted up or something like that to sneak out I'm, I can't remember exactly how he gets out.
1: I can't either. a, a glance behind the curtain due to uh, a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of issues we've had uh, in our in our personal lives. We've had to delay recording this episode. We were ready to record it like three and a half weeks ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, not not my best moment. I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll be honest. Anyways, th- him getting out of the trap's really not the important part. He gets out of the trap. Black realizes he's still alive. Decides to up his firepower. Jumps inside a mech suit, and then the episode ends with the the giant robot essentially like holding Goku around the neck, um, which brings us. To episode 68, Yamcha's ship, where tensions continue to run high. Next, we get aftermath shots of Red Ribbon HQ return to the fight. Black vaporizes his disoriented Goku, but the victory celebration is a bit premature. Goku pulls off what I like to call a Larry, you know, three stooges and uh, tricks Black into, like, hitting himself. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. (laughs) Black decides to call in the big gun and make a mess, but really just ends up with his payload going rogue. Blast is a big one, though. Even the Kame crew, who are still miles away from HQ, managed to witness the finale. All worried that not even Goku could actually survive it. Fortunately, he actually just kicked the missile out of the way and easily survived it. Goku uses the chest burster technique. This is probably not <laughs> going to be the last time he uses it. Brings an end to Black. While investigating the blast, the comic crew notice Red Ribbon soldiers retreating. They press on, still unsure what has become of Goku. Meanwhile, Red Ribbon HQ is in tatters, the once proud fascist regime crumbling. Uh, Goku collects another two Dragon Balls and fires up the old radar to see where the last one is located, but it doesn't work. Uh, I guess it's a good thing there's a mechanic slash engineer currently flying towards him. Speaking of, the crew are landing outside the base and finishing the trip on foot. They come up with a sort of plan to infiltrate the base, but Goku ends up flying right towards them on Nimbus anyways, which basically ends in a gag where everyone reprimands him for attacking a military base all alone, only for him to reveal the fight's already been won.
1: Yeah, these are these, though, are four pretty action packed episodes, honestly.
0: Uh, It was it was actually a lot of fun watching them because the pacing was really good, despite some of the spots. their obvious padding but overall i i thought it was really well done
1: yeah there's some some stuff that we've got to talk about we don't have a ton of notes this time though you know this is the the last four episodes of uh saga so we're really just hitting all the finish it out type of stuff and so we're gonna combine this as we've done i think at least one other time with our manga wrap up as well especially because Before we get too deep into it, there's really not too many differences between the episodes we've been watching recently and the manga. So we'll do our our manga wrap up and all that stuff. But we do have some notes. There is a big discussion point, actually, if we wanted to talk for the the rest of the entirety of this podcast and turn it into a race relations podcast.
0: (laughs) I feel but, like that would go over really well.
1: But I I want to save that discussion for another time and loop it into a discussion of another character. And I bet longtime Dragon Ball fans can know which character I'm referencing. So breaking down just a couple points before we get to our comparisons of the manga. Violet, the, the character uh, who is only in like two panels in the manga is modeled after the character Savannah Nix from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. She's the alpha female leader of the group of youth that Max comes across in the second half of the film. It's been a minute since I've seen Beyond Thunderdome. That's the Same. that that is the poorer half of the film though for sure. The first half, the Thunderdome and Bartertown stuff is awesome. And then the second half, he, like, goes and rescues a gang of magical children or something who tell him about the end of the world. And there's some sort of weird prophecy where, like, he's going to save them or something. It's not I, that good.
0: I, well, you know, it's it's got its high points.
1: The first part, the first half of the movie's awesome with Master Blaster and, and Barter Town. That stuff's Indeed. great. But it's the... I would probably put it third on my Mad Max hierarchy. I'd go Fury Road, Road Warrior, Thunderdome, and then the original. I might swap the original and Thunderdome. Those are the two lesser awesome ones.
0: Duly noted.
1: Anyways, there's a bunch of these unmanned drones flying around, which is potentially inspired by some Star Wars stuff. And, you know, we talked about stormtroopers and missing shots and all that stuff. So yep, yeah, we're we're still we're still the, the anime staff at least is really picking up and putting down all that star wars material, you know. Big time. The influence of the the influence here on the design seemed seemed fairly reminiscent uh, or at least maybe not the design but just the 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 behavior, the imperial scout droids that are featured in Empire strikes back. Yeah, I could see that. And then we have the ultimate defeat of the red ribbon army here. At least for now, until they make multiple comebacks. <laughs> We've even talked about the most recent comeback that they made uh, in movie form.
0: I like I like to call them Dragon Ball's Perennial Losers.
1: Yeah, they're... It's funny, they're like the Scarecrow in the Christopher Nolan Batman movies.
0: Constantly taking L's. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're not like the big bad, but they're in like all of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty accurate.
1: And they're taken out pretty easily. But anyways, since since Toriyama just writes everything on the fly, this was intended to be their demise. This was intended, at the time it was written, to be the last time we ever saw the Red Ribbon Army. So, silver, purple, or Murasaki, white, blue, yellow, red, violet, the never-seen brown and copper... Purple's four brothers, which if you remember in like some supplemental material are named like aquamarine, blue, green, and pink or something like that. A pink blob monster, metallic, black. These colors are all defeated by a boy in orange. And intentional or not, Toriyama has mentioned before that the colors of Goku's gi are his favorite colors. Specifically the orange. So, is Toriyama saying his favorite color is better than all other colors?
0: You be the judge. That's a resounding yes. <laughs> Speaking of Goku's gi, and because we're short of notes and discussion points here and what's a lot of action episodes with Little Story, let's talk about the gis in Dragon Ball. Also known as dogi, or Clothing of the Way, the gi featured in Dragon Ball are more spiritual than just a martial arts uniform, it represents your dojo, your ethics, your school of training and thought, the others who belong to your dojo and share your same set of ethics and master, and you're representing their Shugyo. This concept of a dogi is important to Dragon Ball because power and training and strength are only a piece of the puzzle. They're not just the physical prowess, but the spiritual control of ki as well. Japanese dogi are mostly all white with belts. Whether karate or judo, the only differences tend to be minor in terms of the fabric being used and perhaps variations on the bands on the belts. That's about it. Chinese Kung Fu dogis, however, as well as Indian Buddhist uh, Shaolin dogis, can vary wildly in color, size, style, whether they are tied to the body with belts or sashes or neither. Uh, Belts also only have significance of style and not of denoting any kind of rank. Uh, There are no ranked belts in Chinese Kung Fu. Goku's not a black belt because he is not of a Japanese school of study. Most often, Chinese dogi lack any insignia to denote the individual rank or school, but Toriyama felt there was something missing from the design that made it appear too plain otherwise and adds a kamon, or insignia, to the dogis for Goku and Krillin, which is a kame, or turtle, kanji, to denote that they are students of the Turtle Hermit.
1: Toriyama decides to use the yellow orange for the color. It's his second favorite color, behind Italian true green, which I think would be like Tian Shinhan's color. But that's already used by regular Chinese Buddhist monks, and he didn't want to steal that for his main character for his for his manga. However, the exact yellow orange color used by Toriyama in the manga was not readily available at the time for the anime staff to use for cell cel- cell shading, so they used red. This is something that has never felt right to Toriyama, even though even even the orange we know from the Z era feels a little wrong to him, as his has more yellow in it, which you can see if you look up any color versions of the manga. It is a more burnt orange look to it or uh, yeah more yellow orange it's less orange orange than than Goku's that we think of from the anime he chose this color because it has a connection to a plant in native China which was then exported to Japan and then has ties to the Shaolin monks of the Tang dynasty I'm sure he didn't know all of that but I think he knew like this is a Chinese flower and, and this is my Chinese manga so I want that color in it for that reason.
0: That's and about also, the level of effort I expect.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and also, it is it is one of his favorite colors. Uh, the doggies represent that Krillin and Goku are trusted by Roshi to represent him and his school. And Goku then almost always wears his doggie because, except when like, Chi-Chi makes him go shopping or something, he's always in the mindset of his shugyo is training and following his dao the the gi becomes symbolic even to the characters in the show who concern themselves with their closing closing their clothing and using the proper dogies to reach their full potential true power levels so just as a for instance like krillin sometimes tries to be i don't know about stylish but where more normal clothes he then puts on his dogi when he's like in training mode even if he's not going to a battle you know you'll see goku say hey come on we got to go get ready for a battle and they might be training for months in the room of spirit and time or whatever but he is putting that on to get himself back into his mindset uh, we, we've sat on this little bit of trivia about the dogis for a while stone it away for a rainy day and wouldn't you know it, here we sit with a bunch of episodes that didn't have a ton of notes otherwise, so it worked out for us.
0: Yeah, not bad. There's a bunch of filler in these episodes, without a ton to note on it, except to, as we'll do in a minute, compare it to the manga and point out what's expanded or different. But there are some things to note. Commander Red in the English dub has a Scottish accent, at least some of the time. The dub is inconsistent with regards to this, which is a choice, apparently. Uh, Red is shown golfing during an episode. Uh, This begs the question, did the dubbing staff know he'd be shown golfing and see this shock of red hair and diminutive stature and think so many Scottish stereotypes? Or was it some sort of bizarre coincidence? Uh, These episodes aired in June of 1987. In the 70s and 80s, there was a bit of a swath of killer alligator movies made in Italy and America, including Killer Crocodile, Alligator, Crocodile Fangs, (laughs) Great Crocodile crocodile eaten alive and dark age had these movies just recently made their way across the ocean to Japan and made a bit of a flare up in why during a filler sequence, an alligator is chasing members of the red ribbon army, or was it a coincidence? We looked into whether the urban legend of the sewer gator was a thing at the time. Yeah, we're kind of scraping a bit, you know, but from what we saw, it looks like it was more popular back in the twenties and thirties Uh, with a bit of a resurgence in the late 60s to early 70s. The alligator character Leatherhead from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics and show was first created in 1987, uh, but he didn't first appear in the series until 1988. In this case, it seems like they wanted a giant sea animal of some kind and had already used a shark when Goku and Krillin were training under Roshi, so they decided to use an alligator because, why not?
1: I've seen a bunch of those alligator movies, by the way.
0: Have you? Because I've not heard of any of them.
1: <laughs> well, I've seen probably like two or three of them. But Alligator, the one that's just called Alligator from like oh boy, I wanna say it's like a mid eighties movie. It's it's like about an alligator becoming mutated and living in New York City's sewers. It's good.
0: Oh, if okay. you're
1: if if it sound if that sounds like your bag.
0: I mean, I might check it out. I'm always if you want a more weird. recent
1: good killer alligator movie, there was Crawl. Oh, yes, that was good. Yeah, that was a lot of fun.
0: How, uh, well, it wasn't around the 70s and 80s, so I guess that's why I didn't make the list. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> for some more Indiana Jones influence, of which we've had a bunch throughout the Red Ribbon Army saga, uh, most notably in the general blue portions of the story. But uh, look no further than a filler sequence with Violet where she's being chased by a bunch of tribesmen while trying to get into her prop plane and they're shooting arrows at her. It's very evocative of the sequence near the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indiana Jones has to escape from his rival's paid tribesmen mercenaries and his seaplane that, if I remember right, had snakes in it or something, or a snake in it.
1: Yeah, it was like his pet,
0: was it his pet snake? I think it was the, yeah, it was like the pilot's pet snake or something like that. But anyways, yeah, this whole scene with Violet running to her own plane is, is like almost shot for shot remake.
1: Yeah. I like that when the filler stuff in the anime seems to be picking up on the like references that the, that the manga was doing. Yeah. We had that happen like during the one episode where. Pilaf's Flying Fortress is basically like the Death Star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and General, was it Colonel Silver said, like, boring conversation anyways? Like, I like when that happens. Yeah. Uh, Wheeler and Red's ultimate goal, finally, and, and his true motivations for collecting the Dragon Balls, and it's that he has a Napoleon complex. And it's almost a little bit sad, maybe. The whole reason this entire evil army exists with desires to conquer the world is because a short guy was bullied in school. The manga takes it a step further, as does the Japanese version of the anime, and they say that it's very specifically that no women want to be with Red because of his height. But in general, Red believes that if he can become powerful, that's okay. Ultimately, being tall will get him respect and admiration. When we first started this arc, way back when we first met the Red Ribbon Army and we were doing Muscle Tower and all that, we pondered whether there was any kind of political statement being made. Ultimately, I think that whether or not there's meant to be one, there is one. and We talked about that how by the very nature of art reflecting some portion of the artist and the artist's feelings, there's some sort of statement being made, but Toriyama here and now is trying to sort of explicitly state that the red ribbon army is not political and they're personal and it's about as personal as you can get. I would, You're... I would
0: just put out there. It might not be political, but it it, it does kind of confirm to me that incels lead to fascism. So, <laughs>
1: just throwing that out there (laughs) so interestingly there's some disputes about whether napoleon himself was a short man some historians say he was actually five foot seven which would have been about average or above average for men of that time others argue that there's these weird inconsistencies in his measurements that would actually put him closer to five foot two He was often seen around his imperial guards, who were explicitly tall men and would make even average height people seem small, so that could have contributed to the perception that he was short. And additionally, there was a massive smear campaign run by the British during the early 1800s to diminish Napoleon and portray him as a short, ill-tempered man. So this is more propaganda bleeding into reality, which we've talked about At least one other time. I don't remember when.
0: I don't know where we could have ever possibly run into propaganda ever in this military outfit.
1: (laughs) Well, we've we've talked at least once about like. I can't remember.
0: (laughs) Sterling research on our own episodes here on this podcast.
1: Well. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Some research conducted over the years has concluded that the Napoleon complex itself may or may not actually be a myth. That, you know, you may or may not have a Napoleon complex by by virtue of being short. However, short people have no greater propensity toward being ill-tempered, violent people than tall people, which is great news for me because I am not a tall man.
0: Black betraying Red is a pretty major twist, a subversion, if you will, even of the classic Bond formula, which we know Red has played into. Uh, When we first meet him, he was only seen in brief glimpses, similar to Blofeld from the Bond franchise, but he never has his final confrontation with the hero. It's also subverting a typical Kung Fu trope where the heavy or number two is fiercely loyal to his commander to the bitter end. And even softens the hero up, wearing him down and ratcheting up the tension for viewers for when the hero has his final confrontation with the main villain. Will the hero be able to come out on top after going through everything he did to reach that villain? Or will the injuries sustained prove too much and the villain triumphs? Toriyama's answer? The villain just got shot in the head. Don't worry about their final confrontation. He's dead.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a... It is... Like, it's become a trope in a lot of things and i it kind of wasn't as much at the time of like the the number 2 betraying the villain at the end.
0: I I always think it's it's interesting to go back and watch these like older shows and stuff because like you said it was this was novel back then like it, for somebody looking back at this from, you know, 2022, it, a lot of these plot twists and stuff seem sort of obvious, but at the time this this was This was like a first. This was something that hadn't happened very often before.
1: Yeah, I feel like especially for its target audience is the other thing of of younger people. You know, the 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 only other time they would really have seen this and clocked it would be Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And that is definitely built up a lot more as something that might potentially happen throughout the course of that movie. That whole whole movie is kind of about Darth Vader ultimately turning on the Emperor. Spoilies. (laughs) Oh, no. For for anyone who's listening to a Dragon Ball podcast and has never seen Return of the Jedi... (laughs) uh <laughs> um,
0: disregard everything you just heard
1: this betrayal seems to come a little bit more out of nowhere i mean you get the little hints of it obviously when he's like wait you just want to be taller <laughs> like what <laughs> <laughs> but no it does just kind of come out of nowhere not nowhere but
0: i also think it's fun to to go back to the movie that we just watched That Bulma was using the Dragon Balls for the same similar or a similar uh, selfish reason to make herself like look younger.
1: Yeah, yeah, and Frieza wanted to use them to make himself five centimeters taller. (laughs) So yeah, going through the manga again on on this because this this is really our our wrap up on the whole all the Red Ribbon stuff. Not a ton ton of differences i had a few i had one big one and it was so big to me that i like went and double checked and no this is this is not something that is in the manga you can confirm maybe i had a stroke a very long one maybe my my manga has pages ripped out of it that i'm not seeing Okay. Um maybe I have horrible reading comprehension skills, but
0: I think I already know where you're going.
1: The part where Tau Pai Pai runs up Corin's Tower?
0: No, that was that was in the main guy, I think.
1: Or is it not? Have have
0: I lost my mind? I thought you were gonna go with the uh the lack of a, a trap when Goku confronts Black.
1: Oh yeah, that was not in there, yes. No, that's I, I th-
0: that's where I thought you were going with it.
1: I don't have Mercenary Tau going up Korin Tower. I was blown away. I was I was blown away. Blown. Because I thought for sure it was in there. But it's chapter 90 when Goku finally comes down from yep. Korin Tower and, and rescues Upa? Is his name Upa? Yeah, Upa. Then it's 91 when he starts fighting Tau. And, gets he def- the sword. and he And def- he Yeah, he breaks the sword. He deflects. Does he deflect the Dodanpa at that point? Maybe it might be in ninety two that he deflects the Dodanpa. But he starts. He's beating oh, up mercenary. Yeah. He's beating up mercenary Tao Tao Pai Pai in ninety two. He and he goes, "Oh, you're you're a bad kid or whatever. How'd you finally start to beat me?" And he's like, oh, "I." ran up the tower or something, and then he kicks the grenade into him. Yeah. How did we both miss that? (laughs) I I was like, I was stunned. I I really thought that was part of the manga.
0: I guess that was purely just for padding for the anime. Wow, that's interesting. I completely missed that.
1: Because I thought the whole thing with the... I had I had been under working under the impression here that like the black nimbus was a thing that was yeah oh, seen wow. briefly in the manga one time.
0: I I maybe I had a few more drinks than I thought I did when I was reading this <laughs> portion. <shit. laughs>
1: that was a big one for me. Where I went back and like reread it. I was like, did I did I stroke out?
0: <laughs> no, apparently you did not.
1: I think I read this when I was like when I was kind of getting sick. I was like, oh, did I did I pass out because I was sick <laughs> yeah just a few other things I had was you know I like to note whenever I come across it like we talked in our Corrin episode about how it's not Korin, it's Karin mm-hmm. and it's named after a sweet treat in Japan the manga in the manga or at least in my translation it's translated as Karin
0: yeah that's that's what I'm looking at as well
1: yeah uh, I always like to point that out, even though I stay say Corrin, because I'm a filthy dub philistine. It's okay, um, we forgive you. <laughs> I had, I thought, to me Upa or Bora, the dad comes across quite a bit more badass in the manga, actually.
0: Yeah, and I think that probably has to do with, like, things that they're allowed to show in the manga, but not in an anime. Possibly, yeah. Because if I remember correctly, I believe his tussle with Red Ribbon Thugs was a bit more violent in the manga than it was in the anime.
1: Yeah, and so he comes across, it it makes the impact of him then getting dispatched by Tao easily, kind of. He's a jobber a little higher because he at least, well, he's like better than a jobber. He's like, a, like a mid Carter or something, you know, like uh, yeah, he's like the fair. intercontinental champion facing off against the heavyweight champion. This is not going to end well for, him. <laughs> <laughs> and it did not. I think there's, there's to me, it, it felt like there was a lot more build up to Tau Pai Pai and more going on with, with, with yellow, And Bora and Upa, I noticed in my translation again, Upa specifically calls Karin Tower a totem pole. Oh, okay. Yeah, the one I'm looking
0: at, just it's called a tower.
1: Mm. Yeah, in my translation, he specifically said, like, this sacred totem pole. And I thought that was interesting.
0: That actually makes more sense, honestly. Because a tower implies, like, a building structure with, like, an interior. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas totem pole would just be
1: a decorative pole. Yeah, but here again, in the, well, I guess he says there's a legend of there being someone on top of it, right? Yeah. But he does not in the manga think that anyone has ever climbed the tower. And in the anime, they say only one man has, which you're supposed to take as like Roshi, you know? Yeah. They do not think anyone ever has in the manga. Little little difference there. Oh. <laughs> Karin has a great joke in the manga. I don't know if you caught it. Again, that's it might be the differences in our translations. We talked in our Corrin episode, and I don't remember the specifics of the language joke, but how he was revealed to be like a hermit cat and... The whole joke being because cats in Japanese like mythology are meant to some like also disappear into the mountains to work on their mysterious arts or whatever. You know, (laughs) we talked about that and how there's like a play on words with with the with hermit and how it can be sort of translated as cat in in the
0: Ah, okay i got
1: you we talked about that in the in the kanji or whatever it's like a slightly different kanji but it's pronounced the same or something like that well when goku gets to the top and he's like you're the hermit master and corin goes i guess you could call me a hermit meowster
0: (laughs) so i'm looking at the uh (laughs) At My version of the manga, and it says, he says, technically, I'm the Seneko-sama, with uh, Neko for cat, replacing the Nin for human in Senin, or like, wise person. Yeah. So it's, I think it's, it's, the joke works better in English, personally, but I'm an English speaker, so right. probably
1: biased. Right. Yeah, it was the, that was it, it was the Senin versus senator yeah, we talked about that, I remember. Go back and listen a few episodes ago to when we did Master Karn, and you can hear yeah. more about that. But yes, I thought Hermit Meowster was that is pretty good. Not a plus.
0: That that's that gets that gets uh, a plus to the translators for me. That's a good one.
1: Yeah, that's that is a like a dad level joke. I had a typo right in the start of my chapter ninety two. Oh, Um, really? Yeah, Goku says, hang on, I want to make sure I quote it exactly right. It's Tao Pai Pai staring down Goku, and he says, Tao Pai Pai says, You you dare to say that you will defeat the world's greatest assassin barehanded? Goku says, Yup! If just wouldn't feel right to do it any other way. Nice. Not it just wouldn't feel right. That's that's the little typo I had right at the beginning of my chapter ninety two. I are you are you proud of finding that? No. <laughs> this this whole volume is garbage. I want my nineteen ninety nine back. Viz Media has robbed. Right, this is what you're supposed to do as an entitled fan.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally unreadable.
1: They have robbed me of the experience. I I I am. Offended. I don't know what other, what other outrage can I uh, pretend to have.
0: Triggered? I think you're <laughs> triggered, maybe?
1: Oh, I can't be triggered because then I'm a snowflake. Uh, and I'm not any well, snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> There's a weird thing in... Oh, so we you talked about in these episodes where Roshi says, like, build a drone or whatever. And... Like Bulma, he does something lewd and Bulma gets pissed at him. In the anime, he says, Oh, good job building that drone. How about a kiss as a reward? And she, like, swats him. In the manga, again, maybe yours is translated differently. <laughs> he says, Good job building that drone. Too bad you're built like a boy. Uh, what? Okay. What chapter is this? <laughs> yeah let me see if I can find what chapter it was. It's gotta be after ninety two so it's probably what a what a weird I, that was a really weird one to me though because I was like, uh, he has like gotten nosebleeds over her boobs many many times it's in chapter ninety three
0: yeah and i'm so chapter ninety three at the very bottom of page fifty one is what I'm looking at and Roshi says. You really are amazing, though, being able to make something like this with just some parts lying around here. I guess your big boobs aren't the only good thing about you. Huh. So it's that's like the a the opposite.
1: That's a much better translation than mine. Mine says you really are amazing, though. Finding random materials, pulling them together into something this brilliant. Too bad you're built like a boy.
0: Which doesn't make any sense.
1: Right. So, 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 whoever translated this one said, there's no way he says, I guess you got really big boobs because there's no, (laughs) there's no way a lady could be offended by such a comment. (laughs) The eighties
0: were a different time. (laughs) Right.
1: Is that what happened? I hope not. But somehow
0: I feel like that is what happened.
1: Like, no way he said you... That must be some kind of typo in the original manga. (laughs) No way he said big boobs.
0: That's a compliment. Nobody would ever think big boobs is a negative, ever. Why would they do that?
1: (laughs) And then the last thing is there's there's a line... Right around here too. Oh, now, now I can't, I can't recall exactly where it is. I, w- I wish I had written it down a little better. It was my last little note. But in the manga, Roshi like gives some insinuation at some point that Bulma is an idiot. In the anime, he says like, "Oh, she just needed like a little push in the right direction or something." And it's like that seems
0: a little out of character.
1: That seems more. Oh, it's when the turtle says you should be able to build a a phone. And she says, oh, that's right. I can build a phone. Roshi, in my translation, this is just a few pages after the, the boob line. Yep. He says, there's a thin line between idiocy and genius.
0: Yeah, in my version, he says, I'm not sure whether to call her a genius or an idiot.
1: Okay. In the anime, he says... Oh, I guess she just needed a little bit of push to get her juices flowing or see something like that. Yeah. He says something that that feels more honestly more in line with the reality of the situation, you know, like that. She just needed a little bit of a kick in the pants or something to kind of but also like you said, be able to make a phone with no telecommunications equipment around
0: look. She's a woman. She's got to she's got to understand her place is below <laughs> all men, regardless of how skilled and competent she is.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then yeah, the other the other
0: literally sits around doing nothing all day and yet we're supposed to we're supposed to believe his assessment. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then the last, yeah, the last big difference is of a lot of the the stuff between red and black just plays out very differently because there's no trap in the floor thing.
0: Yeah, which I can only assume is another, I don't know, play for time or something in the anime because I'm not really sure what other purpose it would serve.
1: Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's... I mean, again, it's another thing that's like borderline Indiana Jones, but... It's not a booby trap, right? It's a yeah. It's it's just, a triggered it's, trap. Like like if it was if the walls were slowly closing in and everything, that's like oh that's that's Temple of Doom. But
0: yeah. it's a different like it would be something if it like just spitball in here. But like Black is much taller and has much longer reach than Goku. If there was maybe some sort of trap. That would play into that to give Black an advantage in the fight. That might have been interesting. But yeah, just like crushing the floor with no regard as to whether your second in command is in there or not. Just is, it's kind of anticlimactic, honestly.
1: You know what could have been fun? Uh, but again, it's, this is completely different from the manga. This would be like a massive change. You, you go with the floor crushing thing, right? The floor crush stops short of where like maybe if spikes come out of the the ceiling and it stops short of where it would puncture red okay so that red doesn't get punctured because he's short and he assumes that anyone else in the room would be tall and then goku survives by virtue of the fact that he is also short (laughs) yes
0: (laughs) that would be pretty good actually
1: uh, and then you could have you could have red hop in the the robot and fight Goku. It's not that much different from black doing it, right? I think Toyotaru writes Dragon Ball Super anytime you wanna hand me some money and have me start coming up with gags for you i'm I'm here
0: <laughs> now now we just have to wait and see if it actually happens and then we have proof that we thought of it first and then then we can make a quick buck off of them. <laughs>
1: Like if there's a if there's an episode where because Frieza's shorter than Goku, he like has a blade come out of the wall or something, but right at that moment Goku happens to be bending down to pick up a penny. <laughs> if that happens in, uh, in Dragon Ball now, I'm suing.
0: <laughs> you heard it here first, folks.
1: And then and then we're gonna be countersued for this could,
0: this could just be our, our retirement plan because of <laughs> assuming dragon ball just... goes on long enough they'll eventually have to use an idea that we come up with even purely by accident and then that's when we cash in
1: <laughs> that's when we make money <laughs> <laughs> so we're all done with the red ribbon army when we started this way back when we i very specifically said this was not my favorite stuff. I can I would that. say... I don't know if that has changed. But I would say, overall, I was more positive about it now than before. Though, I will say, I still think the general blue stuff is quite possibly my least favorite stuff in all of Dragon Ball still.
0: I, I would say... I like it about the same as much as, as I did previously. It was also not my favorite part of Dragon Ball, um, but it was also not my least favorite part. However, looking back on it now, <clears throat> and, and after having watched it with more a more critical eye, I really feel like that subversion at the end with, with red and black kind of undermines the entire plot for this arc. Because the entire arc we've been building up towards Red for a for quite a while, only for them to for technically for Goku and Red to never even meet, right? And it's just yeah. kind of it just kind of undermines it a bit. Like I understand what they're going for, and, and the, the 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 betrayal is in itself. I think it's a pretty good storytelling tool, but I feel like when, because he because Toriyama spent so much time with this Red Ribbon stuff. That doing a subversion like that at the very end kind of just undermines all of the plot up to that point.
1: Yeah, I could see that. But even that's that's not I mean,
0: it's not like it makes it terrible or anything like
1: that. No, no, it's (laughs) just I would still say yeah, it's not like my favorite stuff in Dragon Ball, you know, like you get removed from this or whatever and you get into a somewhat casual conversation you know with someone's like oh i like dragon ball you know and you're like oh cool you would probably not really start talking about this
0: yeah no and especially considering how red ribbon turns out in
1: in going forward from here <laughs> mm-hmm. where they become even more of a joke <laughs> but it does have one of the best like the Red Ribbon Army, as a whole, has one of the best things in Dragon Ball, which is throwing the pillar.
0: Yeah. Oh my God, that's the th- I, that is up there with some of the greatest moments ever in all of Dragon Ball.
1: Just it's, it's uh, incredible. It,
0: you can't top it with how ridiculously over the <laughs> top it is.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love because, it
0: because throwing the pillar implies not only is he strong enough to throw the pillar but he's so strong that throwing the pillar is actually a less efficient way for him to get where he wants to go <laughs> like look at this amazing thing i can do and by the way this is a terrible use of my power
1: yeah I'm trying to think we like to we like to do our our seven stars rating or seven or seven dragon balls rating the commander red stuff I would give okay here's how I would do this I would give the commander red portion specifically and that's just from the end of when Aralechan punches blue into the sky to the end of this I'd give that a 4 out of 7 dragon balls but I give the whole of the red ribbon army 3 out of 7. Does that
0: make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I get what you're saying. You're saying the finale for you is a little bit stronger than the, the storyline overall. Yeah. Okay. I
1: can get behind that. The 7 star system is is hard.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to bother splitting it up into parts or anything like that. I think I'm just going to look at Red Ribbon Arc as a whole. Uh, I'm going to give it overall, I'm going to give it 4
1: stars. Better than that. I'm fine average. with that too. That's, that's fair. So then that that takes us to the end of the Red Ribbon Army. They are they are kaput for now, unless you have anything else you would like to say about the Red Ribbon Army at this time.
0: They're a joke, but I love them. Please, Toriyama, do more of them.
1: Especially okay. Can we get was it Conrad?
0: The, uh, the guy with the pompadour?
1: Yeah, what was his name?
0: I, I think it was... Carmine. Carmine, yes, yes, that's it. That's the one.
1: More Carmine, please.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. Especially how, like, any vehicle he gets into has to be modified to accept <laughs> <With> his the... <laughs> hair.
1: That's just perfection. With the, the hat, the hair dome? Yes. Yeah. More Carmine. I love that, like, not only is that the first
0: thing that the audience sees about the car, but that also plays into, oh, God,
1: what's the doctor's name? I forgot. Dr. Heddo.
0: Yes, it plays into Dr. Heddo, like, explaining how he knew that he was being followed because of the car. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, more rib- Red Ribbon Army for the lulls, and lots more Carmine.
0: I, I would accept a Carmine-based spinoff.
1: Also for the lulls. I would 100% I would 100% watch a like uh, an OVA you know those are like the they're usually like 30 to 40 minutes right yeah that was like a like a Carmine gag episode
0: uh, sign me up
1: and that you presented it in a way that was like is one it? of his presentations I was about to
0: say is this a Carmine presentation <laughs> yes. Because inject that straight into my veins Yes,
1: please (laughs) Now comes the fun part Well, for me at least What? Have you ever heard of a dachyoplasdectomy? No What is it? It's a medical procedure The entire ship is going to watch the doctors perform it
0: Well, that's not encouraging Why not? You never want to have something done to you that's so wild it commands an
1: audience. I'm good with it. Because it's not being done to you. Exactly. In fact, I'm not even gonna watch. Why not?
0: I'm scared, and as tremendously depressing as it is, you're basically my only friend.
1: Ooh, sounds like they're about to get started. Oh god, what... what is that? Get away from me with that! Ah! Yeah, that sounds about right. What the? Listeners, uh, a dachyoplasdectomy is one of the most painful procedures our medical scientists have. But it shouldn't short out audio feeds, fry all internal cameras on board the ship, and cause a master alarm. I'm going to have to check this out. I'll take my leave of you here, listeners. Will Bikini be okay? Will I discover the source of this technological malfunction? Will we reach the milk galaxy unscathed? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. (laughs) Produced by Tom Guelli. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Guelli. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GBG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball Universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikinney? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share it with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership.